Are you constantly on the go? The newly updated Jesus Calling mobile app makes it easy to feel God's presence wherever you are. Read devotions and scriptures, purchase products, take notes, and so much more. The app is available for purchase on both Apple and Android. Download it today. One of our deepest emotional needs is to feel loved, and that's true whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian. We're all made in God's image, and because of that, we have the ability to love, and we have the capacity to receive love. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Emotions can be a sticky topic for Christians. While most of us know having a healthy range of emotions is good for us and those we love, we are often dissuaded from leaning too much into our emotions or feelings for the fear of becoming swept away by them and distracted from our calling. But Jesus shows us a true picture of how emotions can give us perspective and language for relating to ourselves and others. He shows the gamut of emotions from anger to those who are exploiting the things of God for their own gain, to compassion for the Samaritan woman at the well who had been discarded by her people. Jesus exemplified how our emotions can inform us as to how we show up in the world, and having a healthy balance of emotions keeps us in touch with ourselves and others. Today's guests discuss emotions from two different perspectives. Dr. Gary Chapman looks at his seminal work, The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts, not only as it relates to human relationships, but also to our relationship with God. His discussion comes as the book celebrates its 30th anniversary, having sold over 20 million copies worldwide and being translated into 50 languages. Jason Wilson is a writer and nonprofit CEO who advocates emotional intelligence among men. He shows the example of Jesus as the comprehensive man in the fact that he was not only bold, strong, and aggressive, but compassionate, nurturing, and caring. We'll start with Dr. Gary Chapman. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Chapman, author of The Five Love Languages. I work on a church staff and do marriage and family counseling in North Carolina. For over 50 years, actually, I've been at the same church doing that. And of course, traveling around the country writing books, uh, with over 50 books. Over and over, people would sit in my office and say, one of them would say, I just feel like he doesn't love me or she doesn't love me. And the other would say, well, I don't understand that. You know, I do this and this and this. And I don't know why you wouldn't feel loved. So I knew that people were being sincere. They were missing each other. And so eventually I took time to read several years of notes that I had written and asked myself, if someone said, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me, what did they want? What were they complaining about? And the answers fell into five categories. And I later called them the five love languages. Started using that in my counseling and helping them discover each other's love language and challenging them to try it. It was probably five years later when I actually wrote the book. And I thought if I could put this concept in a book, write it in the language of a common person. Maybe I could help a lot of people that I never would be able to see in my office. Of course, I never had the idea that it would sell 20 million copies now <laughs> and be translated in over 50 languages around the world. I never, ever thought. I knew the concept would help people, but I had no idea that God would use it around the world. But let me give a brief overview of the five love languages. Words of affirmation. Simply affirming the other person verbally. You look nice in that outfit. I really appreciate what you did. You know, one of the things I like about you, it's just looking for things that you can honestly affirm. 
you could speak the words. You could also write the words. I guess you could sing the words if you wanted to. <laughs> you know, there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the tongue. We can kill people by the way we talk to them, or we can give them life. And for some people, affirming words really communicates love to them on an emotional level. A second love language is acts of service, doing something for the other person that you know they would like for you to do. In a marriage, there would be such things as cooking meals, washing dishes, vacuuming floors, washing the car, mowing the grass, changing the baby's diaper. Ooh, that's a big act of service. <laughs> you know, there's an old saying, actions speak louder than words. If this is their love language, actions will speak louder than words. And then uh, number three is receiving gifts. It's universal to give and receive gifts as an expression of love. The gift says, they were thinking about me. Look what they got for me. And the gift doesn't have to be expensive. We've always said, it's the thought that counts. But I remind you, it's not the thought left in your head that counts. <laughs> it's the gift that came out of the thought in your head, okay? And then number four is spending quality time, giving them your undivided attention. I do not mean sitting on the couch watching TV together. Now, if someone else has your attention, I'm talking about TV is off, computer is down, we're not answering our phone, we're giving each other our full attention simply by sharing life with each other. Or we could be walking down the road and talking, or going out to eat, assuming that you talk. We've all seen couples sitting across the table at a restaurant, and they both have their phones out answering their messages. <laughs> that's not quality time. <laughs> All right, that's proximity, but it's not quality time. And then number five is physical touch. And we've long known the emotional power of physical touch. That's why we pick up babies, hold them, kiss them, cuddle them. Long before the baby understands the meaning of the word love, the baby feels love, a physical touch. Now in a marriage, that would be such things as holding hands, kissing, embracing, the whole sexual part of marriage, arm around the shoulder, driving down the road, you just put your hand on their leg, just affirming touches. And the simple idea is that out of the five, each of us has a primary love language. And if you don't speak their primary language, they will not feel loved, even though you're speaking some of the other languages. So the key is discovering their primary language, giving heavy doses of the primary, sprinkle in the other four for extra credit. By nature, we speak our own language. If we don't know anything about the love languages, we will simply do for our spouse or the other person that we're expressing love to. We will do what we would want them to do for us or say to us. But if it's not their language, it will not mean to them what it would mean to you emotionally. And that's why it's important to discover the other person's primary love language. I think when you understand the other person's love language, you now have information on how to really communicate love on the emotional level. What we're trying to do is meet what almost everyone agrees is one of our deepest emotional needs as humans, and that is the need to feel loved by the significant people in your life. And if you're married, the person you would most like to love is your spouse. If you feel loved by your spouse, life is beautiful. If you feel like they don't love me, they wish they weren't married to me, life begins to look pretty dark. 
So this is a huge issue in creating a positive climate in a marriage. When both of you are choosing to speak the other person's love language, you keep the what I call the love tank full. <laughs> you know, in a gasoline tank in a car, if it's full, you can go a long ways. Well, that's it's a metaphor. We have a love tank. And if our love tank is full, we can handle everything else in life much easier. I think every couple in marriage will have conflicts simply because we're human. And humans do not think the same way. They don't have the same feelings. And consequently, we're going to have conflicts. The problem is that many of us have never learned how to solve conflicts. And when you you then put in the fact that you don't feel loved by your spouse, then you both go back to a self-centered mode. And in the conflict, you know that your thing is right. And they know that their position is right. And you end up arguing with each other. And and consequently, you, you place emotional barriers between you, between the two of you. And you build walls between the two of you. And after a while, you're wondering, why did we get married in the first place? And, and that wall does not go away with the passing of time. We have to acknowledge that we have hurt each other, apologize, forgive each other, and then say, you know, now then, I want to learn how to love you in a meaningful way to you. And when you do that, they begin to feel differently towards you. I think the love language concept helps us in all human relationships. For example, it helps parents love children. I often say to parents, the question is not, do you love your children? We love our children by nature. The question is, do your children feel loved? I think people who grew up in a home where they did not feel loved by parents often struggle with a thought about God. People say, God is loving. Well, if God's loving, why did he let my parents do this to me? Or why have I been treated this way as God's love? And I understand that. I understand how they can feel that way and can sometimes talk about that. And I think we need to be empathetic with people and, and, and say, yeah, I can see, I can see how you feel. But then share some things with them, you know, and, and yeah, Jesus Calling is a good book to share with people because if we understand that God loves us and he loves us unconditionally, in fact, the scriptures say, you know, he loved us while we were sinners. I sometimes say dirty, rotten sinners, you know. He loved us unconditionally. He didn't wait till we clean up our lives and then lives. He loved us where we were and wanted the best for us. Of course, that's why he sent Christ to die for us, because he paid the penalty of our wrongdoing so God could forgive us and still be a just and righteous God because Christ paid our penalty for us. The simple message of the gospel. Whenever we respond to that and open our hearts to that, confess our failures to God and ask forgiveness of God, tell Him that we, we're grateful for what Christ did for us. We want to accept His gift of forgiveness. We want His Spirit to come into our lives and guide us. It makes a change in our lives, and, and it starts, and then it, we, we just continue to grow. And that's why it's a relationship. It's not just something that happens once in our lifetime. Well, we're come into the family once, yes, but then, like in human relationships, our relationship with God grows. And that's why I think one of the most important aspects in our relationship with God is to have what I call a daily sit-down and listen time. So you're just having a sit-down and listen time, not, not just talk. Sometimes we think prayer is, talk, is just talking to God, but really it's a conversation. 
we want to hear God first, and then we want to respond. Or if you're really hurting, that's okay. You can tell God what's going on inside of you, but then listen to Him also. And of course, uh, His Word speaks so clearly and so personally to us as we have to sit down and listen to Him. To learn more about Dr. Gary Chapman and the Five Love Languages, please visit fivelovelanguages.com. Stay tuned to Jason Wilson's story after a brief message. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Our next guest is the writer, Jason Wilson. Wilson has written two books and is the founder and CEO of The Yun Yun, a nonprofit youth development organization in Detroit, Michigan. Jason's award-winning work leans into a definition of masculinity for boys and men that doesn't have to mean boys don't cry or no pain, no gain, and points to a more comprehensive definition of masculinity that allows for vulnerability and emotion shedding truth on the lies that men have been told about who they need to be. Yes, I grew up in Detroit, born and raised. Yeah, right now I was outside of Detroit, but I was born and raised in Detroit. That's my home and I love the city. During my time in the 70s growing up, it was really a great time in Detroit. When I got into high school, I became a very popular DJ in Detroit, and then did a few stop spot tour dates with well-known secular rap groups. And I remember, you know, my mother, she would take me to church, but I, I hated it. I would actually run out the back alley. I would wait for her to get in the choir stands and I would look. And as soon as she couldn't see me, I would shoot out and I would go down the alley to an arcade. We would play games, a few of my friends, and I would make it right back before she exited the choir stands. It took near-death experiences, pretty much prophetic, before I surrendered my life to him. I was supposed to have been an outpatient surgery. They're prepping me for this surgery. And the nurse was so nice, I can't remember her name. And she looked at me and she says, keep the faith, don't worry. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? This is an outpatient surgery. So they rolled me back and here comes my wife, Nicole. She's a registered nurse. She said, okay, I see you on the other side. I'm like, and then tears just start rolling down my face. And I ain't never cried like that in front of my wife. And she says, what's wrong? I said, I can't say. When I wake up, I'm in ICU with a trach down my throat so I can breathe. So my wife is telling me, Jason, you're in ICU. This is what happened. I put my hand up like, I don't, I'm straight. I don't want to hear it. I almost died. My lungs started filling with fluid when they took off the anesthesia. If my wife hadn't have been there, I probably would have died because the doctors thought I was having a panic attack. 
Shortly thereafter, my mother's dementia accelerated so much that she couldn't stay with us. So when I was a young man, I would party and DJ. I would keep her up worrying all night. Here it is now, I'm a grown man. I would stay up all night worrying about her. And so he used that journey to wean me out of the way. I love my mom so much that I had stopped martial arts training, didn't voice like I used to, couldn't hang out because if I got a call from an assisted living home where she was, I had to run there and check on mom. So imagine six years of your life gone, everything. And then on the year she was about to die, I was at the doorstep of a heart attack because I didn't know how to really release my emotions. So I'm bowling and holding all of this stuff up and it had taken a toll on my heart. The doctor said, if I hadn't come to him now, I probably would have died after the funeral because of the stress. So my mom passed April, 2016. A video from our academy goes viral, I believe in June. Gets over hundred million views. Our phones were ringing so much at our nonprofit we basically had to shut the nonprofit down to answer calls. The majority of the calls were from men from all over the world, Australia, you name it. Men crying, not only to me and my assistant, but women staff there. They were unashamed, tired, because the video had moved them so much when I welcomed one of my students' tears and said, it's okay to cry, son, we cry as men. After that, my life has never been the same. It was almost like God was saying, I have something, something for you to do, but I don't know if you're ready for it yet. And I believe that. And he prompted me to pray to be broken because in my right mind, I would have never prayed that. Because of that, I went to the White House. You know, I was invited by the Obama administration to talk about the work that I did and do. The hit show, This Is Us, used one of our initiation techniques. Actually, the award-winning episode. I mean, I wrote Cry Like a Man, signed a contract with actor Lawrence Fishburne. And now a documentary is coming out on my life next year, which will be on one of the top streaming platforms. And then I wrote Battle Cry. And I can go on and on. We're in a 15,000 square foot building. We used to lease space, but we raised money to buy this building because of the demand for our academy. So the list goes on and on and on. And like Moses, when his desire was to free the Israelites, but he did it his way at first, and it almost cost him his life. That's, that's the majority of us. When we become followers of Christ, we want to, you know, I had the t-shirt, hat, bumper stickers, you know, everything Jesus, okay? But it was really my way, not his will. And so it wasn't until Moses went back with just a staff, but most importantly, walking in the Most High's will, was he able to free his people from Pharaoh. Same thing with us, the Pharaohs in our lives. We keep trying to control them and just beat them down or whatever. It doesn't work that way. We have to walk in the will of the Most High, and that demands that we walk by the Spirit. If we stay soulish, we will always lose the battle. Our training academy for boys, it's therapeutic. We make it a safe space where boys can talk about the trauma of getting talked about at school to as, as far as their grandfather just passing. So when you teach them young, teach a boy young, or a girl young, because we have trauma-informed training as well here for children and their parents. When you make mental health as important as this world 
says we should maintain our physical bodies, it becomes a part of the culture. So we have to change our culture. So in the African-American community, my grandfather, he was lynched, not my great, 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 great grandfather. My grandfather was lynched and beaten by police officers in Fort Pierce. He didn't do anything wrong except say he was equal and felt that way and lived that way. That trauma passed throughout generations and it hit me. So intergenerational trauma is something that can be passed down, but also healing can as well. So when we take the, remove the stigma from mental health in the black community, we can start healing. You know, when I grew up, you know, guys who got shot were like superheroes. It wasn't associated with trauma or anything, you know, and so two of my brothers were murdered, you know. I idolized one of them who was a drug dealer, millionaire, but died tragically. And it, I held all of that in. And I thought that was the man thing to do. Think about this. If you had to endure slavery and your children, you see them being auctioned off like puppies to the highest bidder. And you can't really do anything about it, but you know you got two other kids that you have to take care of. You can't deal with that emotion right now. So that carries on, that's held. So what does that tell us over time? We're strong, we can just handle it, we're tough. No, 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 it's time to release that. Our ancestors couldn't, but we can. Let's release this stuff. Don't forget, but free our minds from this trauma. And then you'll start seeing the healing that we desire and it, it would show in other areas in the community as well. The mind can only bear so much. And so, you know, the Bible talks about renewing our minds and being no longer conformed to the ways of this world. That only happens when you, you seek the help needed to release this trauma. Because renew means something brand new. It can't be renewed if you're holding on to the old. And that's what I did and a lot of other people in my community. But now that is changing like in a major way. So when I started becoming a comprehensive man, my life completely changed. My relationship with Christ, it became really personal because I could express these other emotions that were lying dormant. Like the great king and warrior David, he was every bit of masculine. But as we read from the Psalms he had wrote, he was very compassionate, caring. He got scared at times. He felt fear. And there is no courage without love. Because what makes a man run through fire for his family? It's love. It's not just courage. Courage is a byproduct of an expression of love or care for something that you may lose. But he showed us what it meant to be a comprehensive man. Unfortunately, as men in society, we've allowed one adjective, which is masculinity. I literally thought it was a comprehensive definition of manhood, and it's not. It's just four or five attributes, strength, boldness, aggression, you know, you name it, things like that. But it didn't include nurturing, compassion, caring, long-suffering, patience. Like, wow, so if a man is only these four, his life is definitely incomplete. It's not comprehensive. So when I started becoming a comprehensive man, my life completely changed. When my mother developed dementia, I was just a masculine male. But anyone who has a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia knows that you quickly realize you're not in control at all. And what that loved one need 
Of course, they need you to make sure they're taken care of, but they need someone who's caring and compassionate, understanding, long-suffering, patient, kind, gentle. I didn't have that, you know? And I remember praying on my back porch, our deck. I asked the Lord to take my mom. I said, most high, she's not living anymore, so just take her life. And he, it was so clear through his Holy Spirit. He said, Jason, that's not love, that's fear. You're asking this request because it hurts you to see her this way. Your mother has no idea. He says, in order for you to care for her or give her the care that she needs, you're gonna to have to become a comprehensive man. And I'm like, well, what is that? And a comprehensive man, as I define, is someone who's courageous, but also compassionate, strong, but sensitive. A man who can freely live from the good in his heart and not his fears. So when you give a man the freedom to feel, the freedom to be more than masking, which we all are, he becomes someone more comprehensive like Christ. It's difficult for God to use masculine males who are only masculine because when he needs us to be compassionate, we can. When he needs us to be sensitive, we can. When he needs us to be nurturers, we can. And then as the scriptures say, his power, the power of Christ is perfected through our weakness. But what do we always say to each other? Stay strong. So when we fear being weak, now the power of Christ can't really be perfected through us. I was very promiscuous, disrespectful, not disrespectful, but I didn't respect women. I treated them like objects and I didn't love myself. I thought my entire worth was in what I did instead of who I was. And that was a direct result of believing the lie that big boys don't cry. No pain, no gain. If you apply no pain, no gain to every area in your life, you soon won't have one. Because sometimes that pain is not meant for us to push through it, but to, for us to slow down and think through what we're going through. When I saw the title of your show, Jesus Calling, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's perfect. I ran from it. I, I'm just like those who are in the Bible who wants to really carry a cross and follow Typically, whatever the Most High tells you to do, you didn't have it in your plans. We need to go to who created us. Let my light shine in such a way that men will see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. That light shining in such a way is shedding the truth on the lies that this world has told us as men who we are. What does it benefit for you to worry about tomorrow? Because tomorrow will have his worries of its own. However, he never said, do not be concerned about anything. So we will always have concerns. We will always, you know, be nervous. And it's, it's okay, you know, allow yourself the freedom to be human, but also allow yourself to have walk by the power of his spirit to move through those fears, those anxieties, nervousness, depression, etc. To learn more about Jason Wilson and his work, go to mrjasonwilson.com. You can find his book, Battle Cry, wherever books are sold. If you'd like to hear more stories about emotional boundaries and spiritual health, check out our interview with Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Daniel Amen. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from the star of Discovery Channel's Gold Rush and Hoffman Family Gold, Todd Hoffman, who shares how his faith keeps him grounded, even in a career with many uncertainties. People ask me, and it's like, what gives you the confidence to actually face risks like those types of things in mining? You know, I believe that I'm on a journey with Christ. I'm on a journey that is 
controlled by something beyond myself, which, which I believe I'm walking hand in hand with God. And even though I make mistakes, it's like I believe that all things work together for the good for those who love Jesus. And I truly believe that. Want to hear more inspirational stories of people who have been changed by a closer walk with God? Then subscribe today to the Jesus Calling Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please be sure to leave a review, which helps us reach and inspire others with these stories. Plus, if you like seeing our guests as well as hearing them, you can find video interviews available on our YouTube channel at youtube.com Jesus Calling Book on Facebook and on the Jesus Calling Instagram page.